Hey, this is Tim McCurdy, and welcome to Vinepair's Cocktail College, a weekly deep dive into classic cocktails that goes beyond the recipe with America's best bartenders. Today's cocktail is El Presidente, but you might want to call it Dos Presidentes if you're being historically accurate. Then again, there are some who also think of this as a rum Manhattan. I'm not sure how I feel about that. It's a Cuban-born stirred rum classic, which immediately makes it an outlier, in my opinion. But you don't need to take my word for it. Take those instead of today's guest, Orlando Franklin. He's the bar director at Brooklyn's Night Moves, who cut his teeth at such bars as Maison Premiere and Blind Barber. Digging into some of the details in the preview here, we're going to be exploring Cuban rum, I say that with slight air quotes, along with our old pal Grenadin, and what I believe to be the best hack we've encountered yet with that ingredient. Thirsty for more? Let's get into it. It's El Presidente, and it's brought to you today, como siempre, by the Fine Pair Podcast Network. Um, yeah, feeling good? Ready, let's do this. We're in the Cocktail College studio. We're joined by Orlando Franklin today. I got him on mic four if you want to get technical there. But Orlando, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, yeah, of course. Happy to be here. And we're going to chat about El Presidente today. Fantastic cocktail. Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> we're hoping that many more times after this and after people are listening to it and, and taking your tips. But before we dive into it, all right, okay, off the top, I recognize that this is not one of those drinks that maybe everyone will be will be able to remember all the ingredients for off the top of their mind. So let's start by that. Just let's call them out. What is this a combination of? Um, so it's a Cuban cocktail. So I guess ideally um, you'd have a Cuban rum. Um, I like Cuban rum, but I'll get into why that can be different later, I guess. Um, so I like Cuban rum. Um, you'd want a, a Blanc vermouth. Uh, a lot of people use dry vermouth, and it's kind of interchangeable. But I think it's supposed to be with like a chambray, like so, like like Dolan. I guess is probably what they mm -hmm. something of the style that they were using originally. Mm -hmm. uh, grenadine and dry curacao. Nice, nice. All right, so we're going to get into all of those. We're going to get into the preparation, um, and we're going to get into the history. But before we do, what's your own personal relationship with this drink? I understand that this is one that you've uh, you've perfected along the way. I think so. I, I, I mean, I think I, I've made a better version of it than I've had made for me. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, um, it's a it's a stirred rum cocktail. So, I and I tend not to like err towards um, stirred cocktails. Um, anyway, and like besides martini. So it's mm -hmm. it's just sort of a sort of an outlier for yeah. me, just like in its build to begin with. Um, but the fact that it uses a like a syrup and it's a stirred cocktail is kind of what makes it. Um, can I swear? Yeah. Fuck up a bowl. It's, uh, it's, <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's really easy to, just because the, the spectrum of like quality that your ingredient, those ingredients could be is so, is so vast that like, um, there's a lot of errors that can be made. A lot, a lot of, uh, paths to, to go down that could end up in a bad cocktail. Do you remember the first time you had this drink? So I think the first time that I had it, I actually liked it, which is why it's easy to like, uh, identify uh, mm -hmm. The ones that I haven't. Um, there's a bar. Can I name bars? Is that all right? Okay. There, there's a bar in uh, Brooklyn called uh, Diamond Little, uh, which is like a really beautiful portrait behind the bar. It's a nice, like cozy 
uh, bar, and they they had it on their menu um, maybe four or five years ago, and um, it's kind of an odd drink to see on a menu, and it's it's kind of a forgotten classic, mm-hmm. I guess. So um, I had it there; I really liked it, and then I've had it a bunch of times since, and mm-hmm. have not. So it's so funny, uh, not just because they both begin with the, the the Spanish word for the, but we were covering El Diablo recently. Mm-hmm. And I asked a similar thing, which is, is this a drink that you do come across on menus often or is it more of a, it's it's a calling card for, okay, if this person orders this, either the drink means something to them or they know a lot about cocktails. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I wouldn't order it from some, it's like, it's not a good, I mean, I don't, you shouldn't be ordering drinks to challenge people's (laughs) skill anyway, don't do that. But um, it's not something that I would order from someone unless I was ordering like, confidently from them yeah like you know them as a bartender or maybe you've had a couple of their drinks before yeah or like if they for example like put it on their menu or something you know it, it's not it's not it's a weird cold drink yeah for sure yeah it's, and that's a concept we get into a lot it's like okay if one of these slightly more left field drinks makes it onto a menu there's a reason mm-hmm. for it maybe it's because it's slowly trending or maybe it means a lot to the person who devised that menu and therefore you should feel somewhat comfortable with it yes of course uh, and yeah i mean don't do the roulette thing. You, you like to walk into a, like a bar and you're like, oh, it looks like they make cocktails. You're like, order an El Presidente. Don't do that. <laughs> okay, I won't be trying that one after the show. Scratch mm-hmm. that idea. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into the history, though. You talk about this is a Cuban drink, El Presidente. I mean, I don't think we need to get out Duolingo to figure out what it means, right. the name. Um, but what are the, the roots of this? Is this one that we know? Who do we think this cocktail might be named after? I guess it was um, sort of popularized during uh, Prohibition when a lot of Americans were going to Cuba, um, you know, to drink. Um, and so it's either named after uh, Mario Garcia Menocal, who's the president from 1913 to 1921, or a general who became president, uh, General Machado. Machado. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's I guess it's disputed uh, which one of those people it's named after, but... Um, that classic kind of tale, you know, like there's always there's always two or three different variations, right? But so we're talking about someone fairly high up in Cuba during Prohibition era, and it makes sense, therefore, that this would become a drink that might gain popularity because, like you said, Americans can't legally drink at home, but they will fly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but uh, actually, uh, Pan Am was the only airway uh, that was granted access to fly to Cuba uh, during that time, I guess. And um, so Machado was the president at the time, and um, on their flights they served a drink called a clipper, but it's based on a presidente. So, so that story, I mean, maybe if that matters, that story tracks a little bit more. Um, but a clipper, I think, is uh, omits the um, vermouth. Okay. It's everything else with it's everything else yeah. but the vermouth. And it tracks therefore that, you know, you look at some of those ingredients, grenadine, orange liqueur, you know, probably very prominent at the time. Um we've spoken on this show before as well about like how you can improve them because obviously grenadine specifically has kind of fallen out of fla- you know, fallen mm-hmm. out of favor, not flavor. Uh the flavor probably has changed. Uh we'll get into that in a little bit, but so prohibition era drink. Is there anything else that stands out kind of in the history of this or is this more notable maybe because of the fact that, like you said, it's a it's a stirred classic rum cocktail, which seem to be few of those. Well, you know, I mean, obviously, so access to Cuban rum 
is mm-hmm. probably one thing. That, I mean, that's that's probably the biggest factor about why you wouldn't be able to get one uh, at, at any given time. Um, obviously, like, you can find, or, like, if you're coming back from somewhere, you can, like, pick up a bottle of Havana Club 3 at the airport or whatever. But, you know, you did, uh, that just that access is probably what uh, made it go out of style or just, like, sort of maligned anyway or mm-hmm. sidelined, I guess. Yeah. And on that, uh, and but, and also, I guess, on that stirred rum front, like, are there any others that come to mind, like, immediately that aren't also, like, maybe, quote-unquote, modern classics versus... Like a tea punch, but, but that's not really, you know, yeah. that's more like a... It's more like an old-fashioned, and like like in my mind, just in terms of the build. A rum old-fashioned, yeah, I guess, is the other one. But again, like none of these classics. So so super interesting there. I mean, you start to look down the ingredients, and it's like, well, is this like is this like a, a rum martini? But no, then I'm getting the orange liqueur in there. It's it's a really it's a really interesting combination there. Well, you know, also you, you know, obviously there's a, there's a trend of people making their own syrups, and you know, you're not. I don't know what grenadine is being used in like the like during prohibition you know like i'm not sure if people are making it or if it or if it's a commercially available thing um my guess is it would be something like roses um yeah which obviously has a way different profile than mm-hmm. anything that anyone's going to be making for their bar it's interesting as well looking through those i mean a lot of those ingredients right there typically you'd have some kind of citrus or acidity to brighten it so i guess the thing that i feel the most strongly about is that the grenadine is pretty acid leaning um and that you're using enough of it so that the drink does have acidity um because if it's just a bunch of sugar mm-hmm. if you if you, yeah <laughs> yeah so <laughs> like orange liqueur is going to be sweet right like that's what you're using is the sweet component of your classic margarita mm-hmm. and and so you know anything that's kind of where, where at least the person is using a grenadine that having they've made or I don't know what a commercially available one is that's that's any good but that has a bit of acidity to it and if you're leaning into that in the drink build um just just for balance sake uh I think is what makes a good or a bad mm-hmm. and beyond the obvious like listing the components but what does this if someone's like oh that sounds like an interesting drink like what does that taste like I don't know is that a very tough question but like how would you describe the profile of it I mean honestly I I hate it when people ask me that at at work because (laughs) I'm just because my my brain is just like it tastes like the ingredients listed together is what it tastes like um what should be the most prominent then um, like I said, I, like a, just just acid from from the grenadine coming through because it, just having a syrupy thing in front of you is, you know, hard to finish. Yeah, don't do it, please. And served, and this is going to be served up as well, right? Yeah, served up, so like so you you've got nowhere to go. Like as soon as you have it, that's it's getting worse. It's getting now. warmer. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> this is the best case scenario in front of you right now. So it, yeah, there's no no growth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so you were showing me earlier, uh, b- before we came on air here, you, you uh, I mean, feel free to describe that, but you had a, a lovely note from someone, a guest, that you had made one of these drinks for. This is while you were working at Maison Premier, I believe. Yeah. Um, um, was I, that it, on the menu there or was that just... Cause no, it wasn't. I, that, so this is maybe an example of someone just ordering something for the sake of ordering it. But 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 I know this person, so it's, 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 it's fine. Um, we had these comment cards that like came with the with with the check, so people sometimes left us nice notes. Sometimes they didn't, but um, <laughs> it said uh, Orlando made the best Presidente and Sherry spritz I've ever had. Agility plus ten, intelligence plus eight, twin nine, strength plus four, eighty percent chance of a critical critical hit. Um, <laughs> but 
that one, I think, because we had we had a we had a rum blend uh, at the time that we used for um, the Mai Tai there. That sounds about right. Um, so there wasn't a Cuban rum in that one, but you just had to like I was just leaning towards the towards the flavors. Um, yeah, I I think now because because even the one that we were making um, at my bar now um, up until. Well, I ran out of my Cuban rum, so and up until about a week ago, and mm-hmm. I'm going on a trip soon, so I can get some. Pick more. some but, more up. Yeah, but um, even then, uh, that was a rum blend uh, that did have Havana Seven. I think that's the second, yeah, oldest one. So that did have Havana Club Seven in it, but I um, did like a mix with um, the Claren Kiminel. I don't know if you're familiar mm-hmm. with that. Um, so that in itself Which is, is, a, is a, a blend of four rums, and the Claren is a um, patient. Haitian, yeah, right, but it's uh, cane juice based, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, just fresh case, uh, fresh cane juice. Yeah, um, whereas the Havana, I, I, that's molasses based. I mm-hmm. think. Yeah, Havana for club. sure. Um, but yeah, just to just to throw a Cuban rum in in there because um, I was gifted a bottle of the Havana Seven and I hadn't used it for anything. So, and so at that point though, when you're making that one at Maison Premier, like, did you have your own grenadine on yeah, so, at the so time? We, so we made grenadine in house there, and it tended to be a, a bit acidic. Um, and you know, not, not super syrupy, um, either. So it, um, yeah, it lended itself to that drink. I think I was actually working on a rum cocktail for a competition that also had grenadine in it. And I maybe, I guess I'm just thinking about this for the first time now. I, I guess in retrospect, I was probably using a Presidente as a template. As, as the template. Yeah. It, Cause it was like a cognac rum grenadine thing. Yeah. It was like a julep. Uh, but I think I was probably using the El president is a template without thinking about it. Too without much. thinking about it, yeah. it is an interesting template. That and, and and let's let's break each of those down, those ingredients, because we talked about you know like what you want this cocktail to kind of taste like or its profile. We've spoken about rum a lot before, but maybe you can take us a bit more into Cuban rum specifically because people might be hearing like Havana Club and. Is there not a story there where there is the Cuban version, but there's also been the other version and that's been disputed. So people might be thinking, wait, Havana Club, like I've been able to get this forever. Like, what's the story there? Can you tell us about that? Yeah. And I think to my, to, to my understanding, uh, because the Bacardi family left Cuba um, to go to Puerto Rico and they owned Havana Club at the time. Um, and they were they continued to make Havana Club in Cuba, but obviously it was maybe not the family's recipe or like, I guess it, it wouldn't have been. Um, and then recently, or I guess I, in, in the last few years, uh, Havana club has been being made by Bacardi again, um, in Puerto Rico. So there are two, um, but one's Cuban and one, you know, is that, not. yeah, well, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the, the family came from Cuba, so, you know, presumably it's a Cuban recipe and spirit, but uh, yeah, made in Puerto Rico. And one yeah. has the black label and one doesn't. That's that the Bacardi. So, so the black label is Bacardi, and then um, like Havana Three is the yellow label and sort of like an amber mm-hmm. uh, colored uh, rum. Excellent daiquiri rum. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the better daiquiri rums, I think. And so we spoke earlier as well. These are going to be molasses based. These, you know, that style. So you're you're going to get, you know, it's a richer style, which is true for both of them because mm-hmm. um, Bacardi. Is a molasses-based rum, so yeah, yeah. Um, and and why that profile specifically, or in terms of your kind of ideal build for this cocktail, are you maintaining that? You said you mentioned before that you would have had a blend for this. Can you talk us through that and yeah. why? Well, I I mean, I, so I, I actually changed a, a, a couple of things about it uh, when we made it at my bar. Um, so 
One being that it's a rum blend. Uh, I guess in spirit, I just I wanted to use a Cuban rum, and I had happened to have um, some or enough to use to make like a batch of it. Um, but you know, I, I would it, the recipe calls for a lighter rum, so using the seven is already sort of off. Yep. But yeah, I imagine you know your perfect one you'd be using three would probably be uh, uh, a good rum for the for the cocktail. And three is the one that's. So seven is the one that's harder to get hold of? You know, I don't think so. I, I no. feel like they're equally available at airports okay. coming, coming, coming to okay. the U.S. Uh, but, yeah, obviously it just, it just has more age on it. So the, the reason for the blend was because that was the only Cuban rum that I had, and I wanted to blend it with a lighter rum because it should be with a lighter rum. Yeah. yeah. And when, it lo- when you go into those decisions there, what are you thinking? So are, are, would you still like to bring in some of that? Agricole style or cane juice style rum character in there. Or? I mean, it, it's just a it's just a nice an, a, a nice compliment. Honestly, like if you're if you're a purist, then you know make it with three. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, like I mean, you know, ultimately, I think if if if, if your if your goal is to make something that is palatable and good that you enjoy, mm-hmm. then what are we talking about? That's it. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> so if you have, here, here's a more hypothetical question. You have a bar there, right? And you're, um, maybe you're not tiki or tropical, but you, you do have somewhat of a focus on rum, or maybe you have a background working in bars that have paid close attention to rum. It's very common, as you say, to make rum blends for maybe specific drinks. Like we had, um, you know, we had Will on the show to do the daiquiri. Mm-hmm. Um, how many blends would you have, or would you be aiming for a kind of one-size-fits-all, like, look, this is our house rum blend, but we feel equally as confident about this in a Mai Tai or a Daiquiri or, like, Presidente, or, like, is that too hard? So I am not an advocate for that. Okay. Um, incidentally, I, I, I worked at a place that we did do a rum blend, and incidentally for the one that I made at my bar, I did a rum blend, but... I, I think because it's just a, it's, it's, it's a rabbit hole, you know? Yeah. And I think, um, you know, especially at my bar now, I, I sort of want to focus on things that are pretty singular. Um, so I tend not to mix things up often because I think that the thing that's in the bottle is interesting. Someone's <laughs> for the most part, someone's already blended this like yeah. almost always. Yeah. It's, it's done yeah. already. Um, and you know, it's just, it's like a, it, it's a rabbit hole, you know, mm-hmm. like I know I've, I've been to bars that have multiple rum blends and you know, at that point you're just like, yeah, okay, well like we did this one because it's for their, for our daiquiri. We did this one because you don't even have a stirred rum cocktail on your drink, on your menu. Why do you do it too? <laughs> um, or, you know, and, and like I, I, I can appreciate it, uh, the, the time that other people put into it, but yeah, I'm not gonna. <laughs> also, I, I think we might've touched on this once before, but the idea that, like, why is it that rum gets this treatment and almost no other category of spirits does? I don't know. I mean, because 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 if you were like, yeah, yeah, making a you know a blend of Isla scotches, like that's that's heresy, right? Like like no, like yeah. that sounds dumb on paper. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I guess historically, just because, like, you know, like blended rums, right? Like, like they're like bottled previously rum blends. So people maybe take that into consideration and Mm -hmm. they're just like, okay, well, you know, if this is like a mix of like five casks of rum, then like, why can't I do it? And it's Mm -hmm. like, well, no one can stop you, I guess. (laughs) Feel free to do it. Yeah, go ahead. But maybe it's, maybe it's an evolution. Maybe it's a fallout of tiki culture and 
so many, you know, of those original recipes complain, containing multiple rums and then yeah. just being like, all right, we have a license to do this. Well, now. no, yeah, okay, no, that that's it. It's 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 Don, the beach It's Don, isn't it? That fucking, yeah. Um, <laughs> because he put three rums in a drink, now we have rum blends that all people these. think are obligatory to just have. And, and now we have some people selling rum specifically, like this is our Mai Tai rum, like mm -hmm. as a product. Yeah, like, yeah. Well, you don't have a normal... But okay, to bring it back though, that's what you've done before. But if 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 push comes to shove, I'm going out. I'm only wanting to buy one bottle to make this cocktail. Havana Club Three. Havana Club Three. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Dry vermouth or not dry here? So vermouth would be the second component, classically dry. But it seems like you have a different philosophy. Uh, well, so I think the the recipe asked for a, a chambray vermouth, which I think would refer to something like Dolan Blanc now. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, um, it's yeah. just, it, like it's just a matter of, 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 of preference for your vermouths. I, I, I tend to like, uh, there, there was one being distributed here called La Cantina, which is a, um, the base is a, is a Pinot de Chirac. Mm -hmm. um, and it tends to be a bit acidic on its own, uh, more so than Dolan Blanc is and if that's what I'm looking for, that's what I was looking for in the build for the cocktail. Mm -hmm. So I didn't use Dolan. Um, at Maison, I used uh, La Cantina because we had that at the time. Um, and I don't think that we can get it in New York anymore. So <laughs> now, now I'm using an Italian <laughs> dry vermouth. Okay. Um, because, you know, you know it is, that's just preference based on like the style of grape that's being thrown in uh, to begin with. Um and yeah, you know, better ingredients, better pizza, so. <laughs> but you are talking dry, sorry, though, because when you said Blanc, I think where my mind went was Bianco, which like Corpano Bianco being like a completely different beast, which is like slightly sweeter than yeah, a not classic. That, not that. Not that. Uh, though, though the Blanc rooms, uh, you know, do tend to be a, little bit, a bit softer than, than your extra dry. Mm -hmm. um, which, I mean, I, I, I think that... To, to the to the point that if you are having it in a cocktail like that, it, it just kind of makes it duller. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so for the sake of having um, something sort of dynamic uh, happening with the drink, um, I am lo I'm looking for like acidic components to throw in because since there's no citrus, there has yeah. to be balance coming from something. Yeah. Because otherwise, again, you know, you look at that Bianco, not only just sweetness, but start to think about the mouthfeel of this cocktail. We haven't shaken it. Mm -hmm. So it just feels like it's going to be very kind of unctuous and heavy and, yeah. you know, flabby if we're talking about wine. We yep. bring that up a lot. Um, so you're getting that. That's interesting that you're getting those components from vermouth. We mentioned grenadine. We'll go into that again soon. What about the orange liqueur, though? Is this just kind of like a classic Cointreau? We use it for... We use so it, yeah. I, I use Cointreau, um, but the original recipe is dry curacao, so... That would be like a Pierre Ferrand or something yeah. uh, now. And, you know, I had, I, have, I have no idea what they were using. Yeah. Uh, during, like during Prohibition. Uh, whatever or, they had. Or, or, or what that, yeah, whatever they had. Or, you know, what that, um, what the profile of that might have been. Um, but Cointreau is a pretty standard ingredient. You don't, need, <laughs> you don't need to blend your own orange liqueur. You don't need to do it. You don't need to do it. You know, I, this is what I use for my, uh, you know, my Mai Tai or whatever. You know, like no blends needed then. Um, I imagine as well, I mean, tasted on its own, it might have some sweetness, but I imagine too, it brings a kind of citrus aspect to it, which is an illusion of acidity as well. I mean, Yeah. Um, well, you know, so for like homemade grenadines, um, 
you know, a lot of people will throw like citrus peels in that anyway, like while they're, while they're simmering it, but, uh, you know, perceived acidity, perceived, um, citrus notes. Um, definitely I, you know, because it, because it, it sounds like a sort of bland cocktail and you are kind of reaching for all of these elements. Um, yeah, just to make something balanced, like, like I mentioned before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, then, grenadine. Seems that sounds like it's possibly one of the most important ingredients, or should not be overlooked in terms of importance. Tell us how you're making that. Tell us what your ideal world, what you're doing, what you're putting in there, and maybe especially if you're tweaking it for this cocktail specifically. So the one I, I did, like, I don't know if I'm the best advocate for this because the, because the one that we were making at my bar, I also didn't use grenadine. I, <laughs> I used um, I, I did a. Just um, you know, me, I have made very good grenadine before, like based on somebody else's recipe. But like uh, that, like the the grenadine that we had at Maison is very good. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I hate cooking shit, man. I, yeah, I, I hate it. Um, and if I can find something, I'll just I'll use it. Um, Makes so, so much more sense. Yeah, so um, it was actually uh, since I was batching it, like you know, there's a little bit of a blend going on. But uh, I use grape molasses and pomegranate molasses. Oh man. Um, Talk to me about that. That's a wonderful ingredient right there. So, uh, you know, it's um, a Middle Eastern ingredient. uh, And uh, yeah, so so instead of cooking something down, I'm just using basically a concentrated version of what that would be anyway. Um, We were throwing pomegranate molasses into the grenadine that we were using with pomegranate juice and sugar. Um, But like I said, like I, I tend to just look for acid in this drink somewhere and then I'm going to make it happen, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, so, um, using the molasses is, is just an easy way to get that condensed flavor without adding a bunch of mm-hmm. liquid to your, like to your, to your drink. You're reminding me of an ingredient I used to use so often in the kitchen when I was a chef and, you know, my chef was from, um, south of, well, from Leon, you know, but his, Recipes were often heavily influenced by North African cooking and, you know, Algerian and Moroccan cuisine. Molasses, I mean, that found its way into so much in our recipes, whether it was dressings or marinades mm-hmm. or final sauces. Well, it's a, it's a concentrate that's got sugar content. It's got a lot of acid. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's, it's just a, it's just a shortcut. Like, mm-hmm. You know, like, in, like, instead of having to make a syrup, you're just like, okay, mm-hmm. well, let me use a very small amount of this and we're good. And if I can get a bit geeky as well, are people maybe being like, nah, you're going too far. But I think there's also like, f- there's a floral aspect to it as well. Just some of the notes there. And it like basically takes it to that next level of complexity that you're never finding in, in classic um, grenadine that you can buy, for example. Yeah, of course. And, you know, for a cooked product, um, I guess another thing too is just because like if you're like... I'm batching these things and I'm putting them in bottles and I'm putting them in the freezer. Um, you know, I, like water content is a thing. So if you are making syrups and you're, you know, I'm already talking about like the, like the grenadine that's uh, three components without even talking about like uh, orange peels or yeah, um, maybe like orange blossom water or something like that. Um, that's just a lot of liquid that's going into making this thing that isn't super concentrated, but it's just... You know, it's the difference between adding a half ounce of liquid component to your cocktail, which is going to be like three and a quarter ounces, something like that, Mm -hmm. or like less than a bar spoon's worth. And um, just taking into account like the volume of which liquids are going into what um, and 
you know, I, I, again, like the focus, I think, should be on the rum, I guess. Yeah. So, like, what is the payoff to putting that much effort? Unless you have, I don't know, 10 grenadine cocktails on your menu, which who does these days? But, like, what's the payoff in making that for one drink where, you know, you're also battling against vermouth with all of its aromatics and with all of its, you know, botanical ingredients, whatever. Uh, there's a word that I'm looking for with ver- vermouth. There's, there's a type of ingredient. I'm forgetting it. Anyway. Orange liqueur, rum. Like, there's a lot of big flavors going on that maybe we're not picking up the nuances of your house-made grenadine in yeah. this cocktail. Well, you know, and 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 obviously, you know, it's 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 uh, getting dilution, so some of that stuff gets woken up, I guess. But it's just yeah. it's a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned dilution because you talk about this as a drink that you can batch. Obviously, one of the great things. Or one of the upsides of not having citrus is you can batch this and I'm guessing kind of forget about it, right? Like yeah. this thing lasts. Yeah, I, I mean, like I we we put our everything that we batch in the in the freezer, so you know if you were questioning stability at that point, it wouldn't really matter. But but uh, yeah, no, it's 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 totally shelf stable. Um, and are you pre-diluting then? Yeah, yeah. yeah? yeah. So talk um, to us about that. I mean, I guess we're going to get into the recipe in a minute, but like just percentage wise and how that holds up in terms of um, what state it's in solid versus liquid when it's in the freezer. Um, what are we thinking here? I do like, f- I like a five to one martini. So, mm-hmm. you know, what is that? I like a, uh, so, so like if you're batching that in like a liter bottle, it's like 750 gin. What's a fifth? 150? Yeah, that sounds right. And then the rest of the bottle is what you're only left with 100 milliliters and mm-hmm. a little bit of headspace. So, uh, so it's just about that's your that. water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's more like there on the recipe. But yeah, no, no, great candidate for um, fruity or kind of a, a drink that's full of flavor, doesn't need to be shaken, mm-hmm. can be batched. Um, right out of the bottle. Right out of the bottle. Great bottled cocktail, this one. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what we see a lot of these RTD drinks brands now. Everyone's trying to do the old-fashioned. Everyone's trying to do all these other ones. Someone needs to do El Presidente. Yeah, you can get El Presidente. I, I, I will do it for you. Do it. Pay me. <laughs> I think we need to bring this out as a brand. All right, though, if you are making this fresh, talk us through. Imagine we're doing it here in the, in the bar that we're looking at here in the studio. Talk us through your preparation, start to finish, and if you can also include, yeah, quantities, so, well, I, I, I write everything down the same way that it would be for, for like a single serve or you just blow it up for liters or whatever. Perfect. Um, so what I did was, I guess, three quarter ounce of the Havana Club 7, um, equal part of the Claren Camille, also another three quarter ounce of that. Um, oh, I didn't use vermouth. Look at that. I used Cap Course Blanc. Have you had that? No, tell me about that. Uh, so that's a, that's a Corsican um, Kina. Um, uh, okay. And so it leads more towards like gentian, um, yeah. you know, Ford. Um, and so you're looking for, you're bringing a bitter component therefore to this cocktail. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, I've, I guess, done a few iterations of this, but this is the most recent one. Um, swapping the, this ingredient specifically for vermouth is something that I, I do kind of often. For the batch, it was a mix of the pomegranate and the grape molasses. Um, so... I don't really think that you could do that for a single batch. It's like too small of a No, amount. just um, go with the pomegranate. Just do a bar, do a, yeah, do a bar, bar spoon of the of the pomegranate molasses, uh, half an ounce of Cointreau, and then a few drops of uh, orange blossom water. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, just make sure that you stir it for long enough. 
Stir it for long enough. Stir it for long enough. Um, and if we're going down the more classical route there, so what? You had one and a half ounces of rum there? Yeah, one and a half ounces of rum. So we'll go one and a half Havana Club 3. Mm -hmm. I guess an ounce of your Chambray Vermouth. Um, you know, I guess Dolan, Dolan Blanc is probably, the, is probably the, the closest to a classic recipe. The most um, folks can find there. Yeah, and probably the, the most easy to find. Um, but if you can get like Engineer uh, Blanc, mm -hmm. uh, you know. And then... Uh, then you would have your grenadine, which you do like a heavy, heavy, uh, heavy quarter ounce, I guess. Like, I'm going to say we're sticking with the molasses on this one. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cause you can, you can still find that, right? You can find that fairly easy. I'm sure you can bet it. You're sure you can buy it on Amazon. Yeah. You can go to Calustians or Calustians. I mean, yeah. You know, if you are here, you can go to Calustians. <laughs> Very nearby. Um, but yeah, you can, you can get pomegranate molasses at most grocery stores. Um, Cointreau and then orange blossom water. And if anywhere sells pomegranate molasses they probably have orange blossom water too amazing yeah. um you see so you're stirring that yeah for about a minute what's your <laughs> what's your preference when it comes to, to ice and stirring do you do you go big and break it down or do you do you just go cold draft like what do you think yeah I, I actually um they did we're doing this thing during a pandemic called uh, tip your bartender um where it was like a remote conference call i guess but it was like a live a live thing so they would have um people make like a recipe live. Um, and I actually made a Presidente uh, for, um, for, for my bar uh, on like during this thing. And so with stirred cocktails, um, usually for, for this video, I used, a, I used a glass just because visually that's, that's much nicer. If I'm at work, I always use a, a tin. Mm -hmm. you, it's cold. You're never going to get anything as cold out of a glass as you're going to get out of a tin. Got it. Period. Um, but generally I do a few cubes, three or four cubes, uh, a hole and then maybe like three cubes cracked um, and then stir for longer than you'd think you need to. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just keep going. Yeah. I, and you know, like straw test stuff, you know, make sure it's at the right temperature mm -hmm. for dilution, obviously. And then when it's ready, it's ready. Uh, I was fortunate to get that perfectly on the video, I'll mention, because it was, it was just one take of live. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is one take. What are you on about? Yeah. This is no one knows. No, Don't no tell edits. people about that. No edits. There is no edits on the show <laughs> whatsoever. We do one take every time. Every time. <laughs> All right. Here's something I was thinking about when you were mentioning that. Um, if we are going down the pomegranate molasses route, batching is maybe different because you might be doing it by weight, I guess. Um, uh, well, so I, I actually always batch things by volume, which I think... By volume, okay. Chefs would... Obviously, does yeah. Chefs, chefs don't do that. Um, <laughs> There's two schools of thought, right? Okay. Well, you know, drinking's a feeling. It's not a science. Mm -hmm. So that's my rebuttal to that. <laughs> I just think I'm just thinking when it comes to this, it's 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 not quite like treacle or like you know actual molasses, right? Mm -hmm. But it's it's a thick ingredient. So I'm, my question is, how do we make sure that all of the ingredient that we're measuring out is making it into the drink? Um, Measure it out first, and then use your same measuring cup for the rest of your liquid. So, it'll so just, go that first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah go that one first. Kind of rinse out whatever whatever mm -hmm. you have in there into the batch. Um, and you know, I, I'm a I'm a huge advocate for batching cocktails. I think everything at my bar is batched. Everything on the menu, anyway, mm -hmm. um, or on draft, or it's batched in some capacity mm -hmm. if it's not bottled. Um, but it's sort of like an advocate for that style of drink building. It's I, I think it's really important to note that, you know, if you are making things at larger quantity, it's actually 
you're able to like dial in ingredients in smaller that you use in smaller uh, increments like mm-hmm. much more accurately. Mm-hmm. You know uh, this this recipe called for 0.3, so that's you know 0.3. Let's 300 milliliters of um, the molasses together, so that's 0.25 pomegranate and 0.5 grape. You can't do that for a single serving cocktail. Right? No. Um, yeah. So I mean, larger batches of, of, of drinks are you can get a lot more dialed in and accurate mm-hmm. with your smaller measurements. And, you know, if there's any nuance happening, then that happens if you yeah. make a bunch of them at once. <laughs> and what about, all right, two things on this respect. First of all, orange blossom water is a pungent, it's a powerful ingredient. Mm-hmm. I, think, goes I, think a long for, way. I think for that recipe, I wrote uh, 50 drops, but is that you know, something you do more like at the end or like do 25 and then to taste afterwards? Cause yeah, you can always do less. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, especially for like uh, aromatics, like, uh, like bitters or, or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. if you're like, you know, batching martinis, for example, you know, uh, if you figure that in a liter, that's 33 ounces. So if you have of what, 11, three ounce martinis, but I guess you, it, it ends up being a five ounce drink after you stir it. So, I don't know. Do that math. That that's six. That's six cocktails. But uh, I wouldn't in the batch do six cocktails worth of orange bitters because that's three per. Yeah. So what is that? Three. That's eighteen. I wouldn't do eighteen yeah. batches in the so bottle. Basically, hold back on that a little bit. Add it to taste. Um, the second, like one, like like three quarter times what you would do. Try that. Yeah, yeah. and then work from there. Yeah. It's. Also, not ingredient an ingredient to my mind that's commonly used in this cocktail. So, why why are you going there? What what extra dimension is this bringing to your drink? So that it was kind of just because I wasn't using grenadine, and I always that like the any grenadine that I've ever made for bars had orange blossom water in it as well. Um, so while omitting that ingredient, sort of still kind of looking towards it as the the inspiration for using the molasses. An extra thing. And I definitely think it's one of those ingredients that can really make a cocktail like pop. It's, um, I mean, where else are you finding it classically? To my mind, the Ramos Gin Fizz. Not sure if anything else. Uh, no. No, I don't know. I don't all right, know. so all I'm but, doing... But, but, yeah. but, 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 you know, it, like obviously like like super floral and, you know, uh, Claren obviously has a, little, a lot going on like uh, nose-wise. Um, I wouldn't say that uh, molasses base rums do typically. No. Um, so, you know, there, there, there is definitely something happening on the nose, uh, in, in, in this recipe, um, particularly from the Claren, but, mm-hmm. um, the orange blossom water. Nice. Too. Yeah. And so we're stirring that up about a minute, super cold, nice dilution. Use a tin if you can. Use a tin if you can. <laughs> Where are you straining this into? What's your preferred glassware? So, I mean, it's served up. So, you know, people would go for like a Nicanor or something like that. Honestly, mm-hmm. like, Oh, I thought this would be funny to mention. So, like at 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 uh, my bar, we have um, I counted the other day. I think we have fourteen different types of glassware there. <laughs> but okay. uh, we don't use them all. <laughs> no, nope. I mean we use we use three. Um, I the, the rest are for you know feeling fancy. I, I like I you know there's it's it, it's a disco. So I'm not. We have like nine crystal like Spiegelau like classic sort of like martini glasses. I don't give those to people. No, 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 no. Definitely not. Um, but, but just in terms of, uh, up cocktails, you know, uh, typically too, like we have these like nice little, like hard, strong, like stackable water glasses that mm-hmm. like are, that we serve all of our martinis and like anything that's stirred up, uh, we, we keep those chilled and we serve anything like that. They're those. like Stanworth? 
They're stemmed? No, 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 they're, no, 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 they're, they're not stemmed. Uh, Interesting. So uh, I, I've just recently, like, or I guess in the, in the last few years, I've erred away from uh, stemmed, uh, stemware for up cocktails. Just sort of uh, out of necessity because, like I said, it's a, it's a disco. And, yeah. You know, it, it, so much easy to, to, it's really, really easy to break this and knock that over. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, I... It, it's never occurred to me that the that the glassware has like really changed my like, experience with the drink. Obviously, like it's fun to hold like a martini glass, but mm -hmm. it's not necessary. But more classically, <laughs> therefore, we'd be thinking a coupe or a, or a Nick and Nora. Yeah, I, I think uh, like a Nick and Nora makes sense. I think a coupe is probably a little too big. Um, oh no, I guess you know, and I'm thinking about like a like a champagne coupe, like it's kind of big bowl things. Uh, yeah. Yeah, a, a, a coupe like you know, like people like serve Manhattans, and it's probably yeah, classically yeah. what this would be served in. But mm -hmm. if you get it from me, you get in the rock, you get in the rocks class. <laughs> so you're gonna get in the Nick and Nora. All right, here's something that's come up a few times recently. Actually, more in our written work there at Vine Pair than than on the uh, the podcast here itself. But Nick and Nora glass apparently keeps your up cocktails colder for longer. Is that true? Is this some phenomenon you've come um, across? And I mean. I guess that kind of makes sense because it's less, it's like less surface area, less right? Like, surface like area. the coupe, it's, it's wider. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that would, yeah, that, that makes sense to me that that would mm -hmm. become warmer over time than, than something that's sort of, uh, folk. More, more, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, not, not condensed, but like in a, it's in a smaller area. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Not, not, not as wide open. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I always found that interesting. And like, I just figured we, 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 or towards the Nick and Nora more because it looks a little bit more elegant. Obviously, it's better than a martini glass. Though yes. I do like those very fine ones that you run about there. Um, garnish. So you can express an orange oil over it. Um, we just use straight up oils at my bar, like at, just like atomizer. like a mister. Yeah, yeah. Atomizer. Okay. Um, yeah. So we just atomize. Uh, you know, you know, just a spritz over over the top. If you want to use an orange peel, you can mm -hmm. do that. Um, just don't put it in the drink. Mm -hmm. yeah. Can you still <laughs> flame that atomizer? Or yeah, I'm not yeah, saying yeah, that's, yeah, 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 you can. I mean, it's it's just it's just cold pressed uh, orange oil, so nice. it, it's the same. It's the exact same thing. All right, then. Any final thoughts on this drink, El Presidente, or anything else we've covered so far before we move on to our next section? There. I mean, I think it's a. Uh, it's sort of like an airport martini. Um, I always drink a uh, martini at the airport because you never, it's never the same. I've never had, you, <laughs> you never get the same one twice. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just sort of like adventurous, but like, uh, I guess maybe in, 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 in the same spirit, like if, if you see one on a menu, uh, it's worth trying because I guarantee you're not going to have the same one anywhere. Nice. I got my own uh, little philosophy here about the old airport martini as well. Like I, I, I completely agree with you. Um, shaking to shit, dirty. I don't yeah. give a fuck. It, like, like it's like, <laughs> like you don't like you don't know what's gonna come out. It's, it's, it's like choose your. It's not choose your own adventure. No. It's, <laughs> it's you're in for an adventure. Yeah, yeah. It's like I, I'm leaving it in your hands. Yeah. Take me there. I like to say the classic <laughs> airport martini. I've written this down once before. Shitty glassware. Let's go. Shocking twist garnish. Yep. Lousy vermouth. Love it. Invariably shaken when ordered otherwise. Uh huh. Always perfect. Yep. And it gets you there. You know? Oh, I mean, it gets it, it gets you through enough time because what's happening next, right? You're getting on the plane, you need to sit down. All right, we're taking off. Then it takes a while for them to come out. There's people in better seats getting served before me. Mm -hmm. 
if it's a night flight too, I want to move on to, I'm going to have another beverage with my meal and then maybe a little something before I go to sleep. Mm -hmm. I need something strong to get me through there. Well, yeah. And you know, it's a, you get, if you're killing time anyways, it's not exactly, it's not something that you're, that you're putting away quickly and invariably it becomes too warm and you're sitting there looking at it and you're just like, oh, I got to finish this gin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the other airport martini, of course, is you, you take on the little, I don't know, I don't know whether this is the territory we want to be getting into on this podcast, but you take on, you know, you're allowed to take what, 50 ml of liquid? Mm -hmm. You got your little carry-on luggage also, here. Also, you can carry as many of those on with you yeah. as you want. <laughs> so I'm taking two of those and I'm taking 150 ml of dry vermouth that I'm packing. I'm ordering a glass of ice. Okay. Just, just, okay, just, just the just martini on, on, having, on, on, on ice. Having a martini on the rocks on the plane. Okay. I haven't had that. I can do that. I'll do that next. Try that. Tight. Or don't. Thank you. Maybe it's the worst <laughs> idea in the world. I've done it before. I'll say I've done it once. It wasn't terrible. Mm -hmm. It was a lower cost airline as well where I wasn't convinced that the drinks were going to be very good. I mean, what are you going to end up with on a plane anyway, right? I mean, they're never going to have vermouth, so you're, you're, exactly. already, you're, already, in, you're already in. So otherwise, if you're trying to create, if you're trying to make your own martini on a plane, you're just drinking gin on the rocks yeah. or vodka. I mean, do it for the gram at least. Do it for the gram. Hey, you know, maybe <laughs> we can start this trend. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, nothing. I'm not the classic Brit. Again, this is a complete sidebar here though, but I'm not the classic Brit that is like, okay, it's my right to drink at the airport, even if we're getting like an 8 a.m. flight. So uh -huh. I'm like, I'm or like even earlier, it's a 7 a.m. flight. So I'm there at five, I'm checked in, I'm having a Guinness. Like, mm -hmm. I'm not that. But as long as it's a, as long as it's a decent enough time in the afternoon, <laughs> I'm having an, I'm having a martini because I like to think that, you know, I had that experience before I got on the plane. I don't know. See, I don't think that, airports exist within like within the the, yeah. the the realm of time and space like like it, it's its own place mm -hmm. which is my excuse for drinking a martini if it's available yeah it doesn't matter what time it is all i'm gonna say though is <laughs> if it is that 5 a.m and you maybe you just woke up two hours ago that no, is if tough it's a, if it's 5 a.m that means i'm just coming from work so it's not tough <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> yeah. you're just rocking straight in yeah, there this is this is prime time all right then. Well, I forget how we exactly we got here. Yeah, you said it's like the it's the, it's the airport martini of the of the cocktail world. Yeah. yeah. If, if, if it's if it's if it's on the menu, try it. If it's not, well, mm. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Try it at least after <laughs> listening to this episode. Try it after listening to this episode, but don't make it a challenge. <laughs> like confirm confirm that like do do some 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 research on your own. And just be like, do they have grenadine? Do they? Have, okay, this might okay. not be a big ask. Is it Rose's Grenadine? All right, scratch it. <laughs> Don't Abort. forget about it. Have some yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, then we are going to move into the next section of the show, though. We're going to get to know yourself a little bit more as a bartender and a drinker, Orlando. We're going to start with question number one. Okay. What style or category of spirit enjoys the most real estate on your back bar? We are not an agave bar, but I counted the other... I had to do inventory the other day. Um, we had... 72 agave based things no there. way um and for not being i mean that that's it's just not our focus it's just it happened i don't know how it happened speaks to how america <laughs> is drinking or how new york is drinking right yeah, now. yeah sure, I, I, I mean i mean you know a lot of portfolios are just kind of like blowing up with um with with, with agave spirits um 
but also like I like I have a good friend who I I like host events with uh, sometimes at the bar and um, recently was fortunate enough to go to Oaxaca, so we like backpacked mm-hmm. like a bunch of stuff back. Nice. Um, he travels frequently and is always bringing stuff back, and I always get like a little bit of it. Don't so. tell me this is uh, mezcal room. Yeah, 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 Dan. Yeah. Good friend of mine, oh, friend nice. of the show, Dan. Wonderful person. Yeah, I yeah. forget now. Yeah, that makes the yeah. Yeah. So so we've done a, a th- we just did our third. Uh, we call it just fruits. It's like um, we'll we'll do it on like a like a Monday or a Tuesday, and uh, we'll use the bar space. I, I, I work at night moves, by the way. I haven't mentioned that before. Um, I'm the bar director over there. And uh, yeah, uh, Dan and I have thrown three of these now. Um, it's like kind of like a seasonal fruit pairing with mostly agave spirits. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes he lets me do something else. Yeah. Um, he, yeah. But, but like for this last one, it was esoteric. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, he, uh, he, he prepares some stuff because obviously we're, this was like end of summer. So, we should jump in with some context here. Dan runs a, 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 a an Instagram account. I'm not going to use his surname in case he doesn't want that out there, you know, in terms of <laughs> Sorry, questionable <bro>. legality. But <laughs> Dan runs an Instagram account called Eli's Mezcal Room, which is uh, he, he hosts uh, kind of like tasting sessions himself or he was pre-pandemic. I'm sure he still does some now, but he's a, he's a, he's an authority. He's a just loves incredible esoteric spirits yeah. and he knows a lot about mezcal and you guys do tastings together as well at night moves yeah 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 um we've done three so far and it's you know it, it, since it's a uh, arizona seasonality like uh we probably won't do another one for a month or two mm-hmm. um yeah but they're really fun and uh Oh, so you guys went traveling down there? Because I thought when you said, you know, in the 70s on oh, your so, agave so I, there. So I wasn't actually with him. So, oh. like, uh, I was, it was a separate thing. Um, okay. But incidentally, I was in Oaxaca, and he was then also in Oaxaca, at, at like, a few weeks later, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought you were going to be like, yeah, so we got our 818 behind the bar. We got our Casa del Sol, you know, just all the celebrity tequilas. Uh-huh. But that's not what you're talking about here, no? No? No. no? no. no. Casa Amigos? <laughs> no. Sorry. No? No. Oh, okay. But, but, right, but, but, but I have alternatives. Yeah. <laughs> Class Azul. No, I'm not sure. I'm not calling anyone out here. I'm just saying, you know, there's a tequila for everyone. Yeah. There's a mezcal for everyone. Yeah. And if you're 80 people, you can come to my bar. Yeah. There'll be one for you. Yeah. How many of those are in drinks, though? Cocktails? Uh, I mean, I, I use, uh, you know, we, we have, we've had a variation of a mezcal Negroni on the menu for like a, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I, no, I think we opened with it, so the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm using what we have in our well for that. It's just like your kind of standard Espadine mm-hmm. kind of crowd pleaser. Mm-hmm. Um, as for anything that- else, you know, you, you know, everything's meant to be had, you know, as is. Um, or in a highball. Perfect. Um, but, you know, if you want to pay $60 for a, like, like a Netta margarita or something, you know, go for it. Nice. <laughs> I'll go for that. It's there for you too. I'll go for the whole Oreo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right then. Question number two: Which ingredient or tool do you believe to be the most undervalued in a bartender's arsenal? Oh, um, I love my ice tapper. Your ice tapper? Yeah, I have a like, a, like one of the original ones. It's a, so it's, you know, it's just a piece of metal with a bolt through it that's connected to a sort of a bendy piece of metal and. What is an ice tapper used for? Uh, for cracking ice. For cracking ice. Yeah, okay. Tapping ice. So you're not using the back of a. This replaces the back of a bar spoon. It's much more effective than the back of a bar spoon. I'll tell you, I try and do it with the bar spoon at home, and I'm like, it's going all over my kitchen. Well, you know, you're um, 
your freezer too is uh, if you're pulling your ice directly out of the freezer, it's much colder it's than, too cold. than, than the cold draft that you would be having in a bar, which is like mm -hmm. you know, supposed to air. Part of the problem. Uh, yeah, so you're going to hurt yourself, or there's just going to ice explosion everywhere. But the, um, the ice, ice, tapper. ice tapper is just really, um, you know, it, it, it's it, it doesn't take a lot of effort just because of the weight of mm -hmm. the metal piece. Um, yeah, and that's how you get perfect cracked ice. That sounds like a little baller, little piece of equipment there that you can, I need you, to look you, into. You, you can find them on eBay. Uh, I've had three or four of them. Uh, not because they're broken. I've, I've, I've given a couple away. Um, yeah, you, you, you can find them. I, th I think uh, I, I've never paid more than like $30, $40 for one. But but nice. the but the original ones they made. And, and Cocktail Kingdom makes them now too. Mm -hmm. uh, but the original ones, um, I think maybe from the 60s, 50s. Yeah. Awesome. Love it. Question number three. What's the most important piece of advice you've received while working in this industry? I guess, you know, know, know your worth. I mean, that's that's important for anybody, I guess. Um, you know, especially as it comes to like uh, working events or something, you know, um, doing things for people, shoots, yada, yada. Um, you know, don't undervalue yourself because if you're, I mean, you're professional, you're being asked to do something professionally, be compensated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Makes sense. Penultimate question. If you could only visit one last bar in your life, what would it be? Am I sure I'm going to die after? <laughs> All this question, the only parameters I'd like to say with this question, I feel like I have to clarify every week, but I enjoy doing so. The only thing is you're not able to go to any other bars. Oh, that's trash. So you go to this one. Yeah. Maybe it's the only bar that exists in the world, or maybe you go in and you're never coming out. I don't know. Okay. Well, I would go to my bar. <laughs> yeah, man. Hell I would yeah. go to my bar. Do it. Yeah, it's the best. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, why would you not answer that? that you create the space that you want to be in. Yep. Amazing. So I would go back. Again. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you could just say, well, because you know that you like everything there is to drink there. Chances are there's going to be people that you know and you like there as well. So everybody I know place. can be found here. Yep. Last question for you today, Orlando. If you knew that the next cocktail you drank was going to be your last. See, am I dead after? No. <laughs> <laughs> or I'm just, I, like, I'm just sober after. Like, what's the... <laughs> This one I'm going to say is kind of closer to the final moments. Okay. I mean, that's, that's better for me, honestly. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, it's going to be a gin tonic. Gin tonic? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Lemon or lime? <laughs> lemon. Lemon. Yeah. Nice. Old Raj gin, gin tonic with a splash of lemon. There's the uh, the Maison Premier influences creeping into you with the gin uh, with the gin preference there, right? Fever oh, tree, like fever tree tonic. Fever tree. <laughs> <laughs> nice highball. Yeah. For your last one. Huh? Not that I'm questioning here. I'm just just making sure we're we're. we're no, I'm gonna keep it light. Keep it light. Yeah. yeah. Sounds like a nice way to go. Uh, oftentimes people go the other way. I'm having, I'm having a 15 ounce martini. I don't know. Someone's you know like yeah, nah. but uh, but it's like because. Because my last, this way I know my last sip is going to be cold and refreshing. If I'm milking my last martini because I'm going to die, yeah. then my last sip is going to be warm gin. Because I'm just, I'm just sitting there, I'm, I'm contemplating, yeah. right? Like yeah. I'm not, I, I, I yeah. didn't throw it back, so no. <laughs> Amazing. Well, that's been El Presidente. 
It's been a wonderful one. Orlando, thanks so much for joining us Thank again. Thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, let's go stir up some rum cocktails. Oh. Cheers. Okay, that was a lot of info, but here's the good news. Every single episode of VinePair's Cocktail College is also published on vinepair.com as a transcript, so you can check it out there all over again. Also, if you enjoy listening to the show anywhere near as much as we enjoy making it, go ahead and hit subscribe. And please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, or Stitcher. And please tell your friends. Now for the credits. Cocktail College is recorded and produced in New York City by myself and Keith Beavers, VinePair's tastings director and all-round podcast guru. Of course, I want to give a huge shout out to everyone on the VinePair team. Too many awesome people to mention. They know who they are. But I want to give some credit here to Danielle Grinberg, art director at VinePair, for designing the awesome show logo. And listen to that music. That's a Darby Seaside original. Finally, thank you, listener, for making it this far and for giving this whole thing a purpose. Until next time. <laughs>